But this felt like a way that I could help, certainly with female creators, to help their projects get made, which ultimately, you know, is part of the way in which that we broaden the content and tell stories about ourselves, you know, as women. Hey, y'all. Welcome to the She's So Real podcast. I'm your hostess, AJ Joyce, where we dive in each week to chat with multifaceted women in the film and entertainment industry who believe in diversity and inclusion through their work and the media. I'm a digital creator and a black girl nerd with a background in fun movie reviews, film enthusiasm, and girl power advocacy who's obsessed with creating a space for talented, badass women. Grab your drink and your popcorn because these ladies are the real deal. Hey, y'all. Have you ever wondered who's behind the shows like Say Yes to the Dress, Mythbusters, The Last Alaskans, Deadliest Catch, or Planet Earth? I have just the lady. Discovery Channel's former senior VP of Programming Development, Abby Greensfelder, was the driving force behind these award-winning nonfiction series and more. After she left her first co-venture production company, Half Yard Productions, she ventured into a new entrepreneurial journey, starting her own media company wonderfully known as Every Woman Studios. Isn't that awesome? The mission there is to highlight female-focused stories that create positive impact. Today, Abby is sharing her continuous efforts to amplify female talent in the entertainment industry. Her studios has recently partnered with RealScreen to offer the inaugural Propel program, which is a female-focused accelerator for aspiring female creators. Isn't that great? Oh man, I can't wait. One winning project will receive up to $20,000 to further develop their project and make it production ready. Abby discusses all the details behind her new program, as well as an in-depth look into her awesome career with nonfiction content. Let's welcome Abby to the show, y'all. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. Did you register to vote? No, seriously. Did you send your form in? Did you do it online? Do you want to feel like your voice is heard? This is not an endorsement or sponsorship. This is just me talking to another American citizen asking you to use your voice to vote. You know the V word. No, not Voldemort. I don't even know where I came from. (laughs) Today is the day to use your voice. It's powerful. It can bring about change. You can make a difference. You, the people, can change the country. So I will be at the polls with a mask on, of course. Will you? Hi, Abby. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having on having me on the podcast. Of course. Of course. Man, I, I'm really excited for this. <laughs> I want to know, since I was learning about your the start of your career, and I know you started at the Transatlantic Films, which I thought was interesting. And I wanted to see how did you shift that start to you getting into the nonfiction and unscripted entertainment area? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. So I actually, I ended up getting to transatlantic film through an internship at Discovery. I interned at Discovery right out of college, and I ended up, having a great experience interning there. I worked as a writer researcher 
which back when I interned there, actually started on the company's 10-year anniversary. And so the cable industry was just growing leaps and bounds. And they had just launched what was called Discovery Online. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is in 1995. And I loved the internship so much. And I ended up working as a sort of contractor afterwards for a little bit, but I had always wanted to live abroad. And so I ended up going to London. But through my work at Discovery, they helped put me in touch with a number of different production companies out of the UK that were sort of prolific producers. And one, so I interviewed with a bunch of folks and I ended up working on this great series that at the time was being made for TLC mm-hmm. called History's Turning Point. And it was just what it sounds like, a a series about the great turning points in history. And I worked as a sort of associate producer, first a PA and then associate producer on that show. And as part of working for that company, which was interesting because it was an independent production company run out of London. They had offices in Wales as well. And they also owned a lot of the IP for their shows and had a distribution company that worked with them and had co-production partners around the world, Australia and the U.S. and so forth. So it was an interesting perspective into the production side of the business. It was a family-owned business, and they tended to have maybe a show or two at a time, mm-hmm. helmed by a woman who was one of the first female producers at Panorama in the U.K., which is sort of a storied, storied British public affairs program. So I think in a weird kind of way, you know, I caught the bug of both there seeing kind of an entrepreneurial side of the business and also making, in that case, it was, you know, history programs, which I love history. And that ended up in a circuitous way leading me back to discovery because my mentor, who was my boss when I was an intern, I kept in touch with, and I actually, when I was working for the production company, Transatlantic Films, developed a project that I helped sell to Discovery. And at one point, he called me up and said, how would you like to come back? I'm starting as the head of development, and we're going to be working to buy more original programming at Discovery. How would you like to come and help me set up that function and work for me? And I said, (laughs) yeah. So that's kind of... I kind of got to Transatlantic through Discovery and then ended up going back to Discovery after working in the UK for a bit. But I loved being abroad and it did give me a perspective of how how the international market fits into the US market from a very early, you know, stage of my career. Wow. I, I have to say, like, wow, you you definitely stayed with Discovery for sure. <laughs> Yeah, especially, you know, since you were a former senior VP, you know, there too. So, I mean, they they were not letting you go. (laughs) Exactly. Well, once I went back and I started as a coordinator of development, which was my job, I came back to be to assist the then director of development to kind of set up that function. Mm -hmm. And I, I ended up working there from 1997 until 2006 and I sort of rose up had numerous jobs through the ranks and eventually ran content for discovery so I kind of I kind of grew up at the company and learned a ton about 
you know, content production and development and marketing and the cable industry right at the time that industry was really growing and expanding. It was a great, great experience. I bet. I I personally have to say, and, you know, I love every aspect of some of the series that you were behind on when you were at Discovery, but in terms of your catalog of award-winning productions, my personal favorite is Say Yes to the Dress. Ah. <laughs> just because it just keeps on going. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Just because I'm trying to avoid being a bridezilla myself. But I'm curious, you know, uh, again, with such a long catalog you have, what is your favorite series or documentary that you have under you? Oh, wow. it's a good question. There's been a lot of them. I would say, I mean, definitely Say Yes to Dress has to be on the list because, <laughs> I mean, it, it is still one of the most real shows on television in the unscripted genre. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a show that that originally we came up with and I wanted to do in part because I'd worked at Discovery, this male skewing channel, for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I always thought that TLC had had great success in daytime with a show called Wedding Story. I don't know if you've ever watched that. But I always thought that... I've a, seen like a snippet of it, but yeah, not yeah. really. So I always thought that a prime time take on the wedding genre would be really successful. And someone I knew had gotten her dress at Kleinfeld and told me about it. And I thought, well, that's a show. And, you know, little did we know that all these years later, that show would be going for like 18 seasons now. And it's evolved. And But ultimately, when we did that show, we always said it's not a show about weddings. It's a show about a rite of passage. And I think that's why the show has had such longevity and why it's such a great show because yeah. this one rite of passage which is about finding a wedding dress is really a portal into family relationships and individual relationships and your self-identity and and everything because of that is heightened so it's an incredibly emotional show i used to just like cry watching the episode <laughs> <laughs> so i do i do love that show i also love the at Half Year did a show called The Last Alaskans. Yeah. Which I'm really yeah. proud of. That show was a really immersive look inside a world that really people had never gotten inside of, which was the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, which is the largest wilderness area in the Americas. It's like larger than the state of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And it was set aside and and in the 80s the government outlawed human occupation of mm-hmm. of what's called anwar in alaska because of this it's this vast wilderness area but at the time there were a number of families living there and individuals and the government said well those who are here can stay but only until the death of your last child and so the story that we told was about the handful of families that lived in this vast nature most wildest existence almost like turning back the clock of time because they lived a very kind of little house on the prairie in Alaska lifestyle Mm -hmm. but there was something about the show at the time that we made it we really focused on the landscape as a character 
in addition to the great characters that were there. And it became a very emotional show, actually, and very meditative show. I think in a time, it's interesting, I've been thinking about it recently because in, I think in quarantine, a lot of us have been thinking about how we spend our time. Definitely. And that we can make ourselves so busy. And all of a sudden, when you slow down time, you know, you start to notice things more, you focus on what's important, and there is a more meditative aspect to the ebbs and flows of life. And I felt like that show, part of the appeal of it for people, was almost like watching these people in an extreme form of quarantine, but they'd self-quarantine themselves within this vast backdrop of nature Mm -hmm. in the most sort of extreme form. And it's just a beautiful show. And I think we did a great job of, of just quietly telling that story in a way that felt, again, it was a very documentary style, akin to say yes, show. And I think those, that kind of storytelling very much still resonates. And it's part of what, for me now, I'm thinking about how to take some of those storytelling techniques and apply them, especially in stories that tell stories about women, especially in places and spaces where we don't typically see mm-hmm. women. You know, doc storytelling is particularly unique because it's really intimate and it's real, you know, and authenticity and realness, I think, has increased currency at a moment when, again, like at this moment, we talk about how there's distrust of news and there's distrust of social media. Well, doc and and nonfiction storytelling and docs in particular, I think have more currency and relevancy at this moment because they still feel truthful. You know, they feel yeah. real. And that that has power, I think, to tell a story that feels truthful and real at this moment. I feel like there's also been like a sense of rediscovery. I mean, and it goes with the whole quarantine aspect, you know, of slowing down and rediscovering things. And, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are really discovering different things on television and film. And that goes hand in hand with your yep. documentary aspect, you know, of it. I personally have been on Netflix and Hulu and some of the docs on there. I'm like, was this here before or am I just now noticing this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think you, I think you're not alone. I think that a lot of the biggest mm-hmm through quarantine have been doc series like the um, Last Dance yeah. on ESPN mm-hmm. which which will now be on Netflix and then Tiger King you know there's been um, the Hillary Project on a lot of great docs I think audience are finding them and they do have Again, this kind of storytelling that that I think is appealing because it feels like we have an intimate and real view of of things. Definitely. Which is appealing. Definitely. It's maybe always been appealing, but it feels a little bit more necessary now. Oh, it definitely does. And, you know, it's it's nice to see that, that people are taking those things more seriously versus them watching, like, the Real Housewives of Atlanta or the Kardashians or right. something of that sort where it's not really actually ed- educating you on something, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to fast forward a little bit because I think your beginning is so great and, you know, you've accomplished all these wonderful things and you decided you, you were running this production company 
with your co-CEO with it, uh, Half Yard Productions, and you decided to step down early last year to start your own Every Woman Studios. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure from that point on, I'm, I'm sure you feel like you're walking your purpose, but it makes me wonder with all the things that you've accomplished under that production company, how difficult was it for you to move on or was it was it even difficult for you to do that? Yeah, that's a good question. And yes, it was very hard. And I think all of those major life transitions, both leaving Discovery to start Half Yard and then deciding that I wanted to start this new venture, have all been really tough decisions because I feel very blessed to have loved all the work that I've done in my life, which doesn't mean that every single moment of it is perfect you know, and charming and happy. I mean, it's been hard work and there have been challenging moments, but I have loved the essence of the work that I've done and I'm proud of all of it. And I love, have been blessed to work with amazing people and the team at Half Yard is like family, you know? Mm -hmm. These are people who, you know, worked some of them for 13, 14 years for the company and with my business partner. Um, launched the company in 2006 and grew the company. And then we sold the company um, to Red Arrow Studios, which is a great organization and went on to grow the company in different ways. So the real thing for me was that, you know, I think for every person that comes a moment when you think, okay, how do I do something that both feels central to who I am as a person, but also can add meaning to the broader culture and community that I live in. Mm-hmm. And for me, this felt like a calling. I felt I was in a position in my career where I could make this move. And it actually, the idea of wanting to support women, women's voices, stories, and content is something I've been thinking about for many, many years. I actually back in the early years when I started at Discovery, I had thought about the fact that it was odd that at the time the female networks of Discovery were priced less. Like it was, you could buy ads on TLC for less than you would buy them on Discovery. And also that all those years of working at Discovery, a lot of the content that we did, which were content areas that I love, which was nature, science, you know, the outdoors, things like that, that a lot of those content areas were devoid of female characters. And I always felt that that was unfortunate, devoid of female characters and just more diverse stories in general. And that was something that I felt all these years later that I was in a position to help change. And so this really came from a place of passion and purpose inside me. And it came on the heels, too, of what felt like sea changes in our culture, like the Me Too movement and sort of political awakening, more women running for office and things like that. So I looked at my, and I've always been somebody who's been, I hope, like a mentor to women, promoter of women. I myself have been mentored by women, and I felt like, if I don't do this now, I might never do this. Yeah. And I felt like besides being personally passionate about it and feeling that this was true to my purpose and that I could help shift 
the cultural conversation in, a, in subtle ways through content mm-hmm. and helping more women make content um, and different kinds of content that I also thought that there was an interesting business proposition there because I think that women and viewers and consumers in general mm-hmm. want to hear differing and more diverse kinds of stories. So I felt like what felt very much like a mis- personal mission and integral to who I who I am and the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell also happened to at that moment align with where I felt like the market was moving. Yeah. And so it felt like, again, this was the moment to do it. So it very much was, though, a scary moment, as any kind of change is, because, you know, I'm starting something new, and it feels like having another, you know, baby. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But... Your big project. (laughs) It also feels very passion-based and purpose-based, and that feels like how I want to spend the next chapter of my life, adding value and purpose and and passion into the space of content. I think for a female creative like you with such expertise is, is a big value to especially someone who's starting off new and wants to be more into your industry in sorts. And what I'm curious about is, and this goes on, especially uh, for someone like me, you know, often too many times, I don't see enough people that look similar to me in in executive roles and managerial positions in the entertainment industry. And and that not only just goes for women, but for people of color. And, And it's great to see where you are. I'm curious, you know, as the tide is changing and also what you were saying on, on the political scale, you know, more actions are, are, are being taken, but it's not enough. Yeah. So what I'm curious now, since you're in the position where you are with your, with your new company, how exactly are you addressing that aspect of making sure those, those creatives are being seen? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and it is a accurate observation that there is not enough, there's not enough diversity in the executive ranks. There's also not enough diversity in the production company ranks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that was one place that I felt that I could help because having been a buyer at at a network, you know, running a content team that was buying programming for discovery in some of its sister channels Mm -hmm. and then having launched a production company and knowing a lot of the people that have gone on that similar journey. You know, I always thought it was odd that more women and more diverse people of diverse backgrounds didn't opt to take that path because it is, while it is a risky one, Mm -hmm. you know, there's risk involved, right? You have to start your own business and, develop and sell your own ideas, but it affords you a lot more ultimately creative agency because you develop your own ideas and pitch them with your own passion. And so you end up making the things that you care about, right? Mm -hmm. And then you're in a position to staff them with teams 
that represent the diversity of viewpoints that you are looking to seek. So it's especially at the production company level, I think, which, which sometimes people don't really think about, but that's where in this industry, the ideas come from. That's where the staffing decisions often get made. Mm -hmm. So if you can, as a creative, be increasingly in a position to create your own ideas and run your own projects, you have a greater ability to affect kind of on the ground diversity of opinion and, you know, staffing and things like that than even necessarily at a network level. Although all the same issues reside there. But I've been focusing on how can I, as someone who's come up through the network and then the production community, how can I help more women and then amongst women, more diverse and different kinds of women to to rise in this business and especially to be in a position where their ideas can get made and they can kind of move up the chain of owning IP and even thinking about starting production companies. Yeah. So to do that, I started this initiative called Propel, which is one of the things that when I founded this company, one of the core bits of the mission is to tell stories about and by women and to and all and every kind of woman. And so one of the gaps that I saw in the industry was there are a lot of people working in, a, in the freelance industry in our business. And there are less women and diverse women that run production companies. So my thought was, well, if I can find a way to create a program, which is what I've done in Propel, that sets up industry mentors who are themselves running production companies mm -hmm. to basically look at projects by other women creators, help mentor them with our projects, ultimately to a place where they're able to be pitched to buyers. So mentor them in that process and help get their projects pitch worthy. And then every woman's studios can help to support those creators and help get make their productions happen. So that's, that's what I've done with Propel is to start an initiative where basically we got ideas into the program and we're working to mentor and workshop ideas of those women and even some actually of the semi-finalists because they all get exposed to the mentor. And one of my goals for, so this year we just announced the finalist and the shortlist, the yes, semi-finalist. I saw. I and like, this is exciting. <laughs> yeah. And there were some amazing projects that were, you know, submitted through the program. And, and there are some amazing, amazing projects that are the finalists and the semi-finalists. Mm -hmm. And I was excited to see, although I think we need to do better to get even more diverse Admissions and mentors, because that's a sort of virtuous cycle. But we did have some great ones in there, mm -hmm. and I suspect that some of those will get, you know, accelerated and pitched out and get made. You know, we'll see the process is going to move now through the mentoring phase through to January. But one of my goals for next year explicitly is to ensure that we have diverse women who own production companies or work at networks to be mentors mm -hmm. because I think, you know, you need that to kind of even just to solicit 
from their communities, more people to apply and promote the program amongst diverse and broad communities so that we get different and kind, you know, differing stories, different kinds of people submitting ideas. You know, that's just one way that I think we can broaden the tent of who's making content and who's ultimately running companies is just to do programs like this. I mean, it's one small way. We are going to take a moment here just to give a shout out to my girls on the so-called Orioles podcast. And here I'm going to let them say their own spiel about what the podcast is about. So tune in here. Welcome to the so-called Orioles podcast. A podcast where Kia, Amari, Rachel, and Janae discuss all the awkwardness, hardship, and hilarity that comes along with society labeling you white on the inside and black on the outside, also known as Norio. Trying to mind my business and be black, that's basically about it. Through intimate conversation and candid interviews, we discuss everything from quote-unquote talking white. You talk the way, which I guess is supposed to be like you talk proper and I usually think black people sound ghetto and uneducated. That's yeah, how that's I perceive when like you say too. you talk so what, white. You, mean you don't speak Ebonics? Traveling while black. It opened my eyes to a lot of just the small privileges Americans have and then it also opened my eyes to as a person of color how difficult it may be to go to another country. It was just a lot of blatant racism. Dating as a black woman. There's just something about the black woman who just really wants to support and see the black man thrive. And even if I'm not in a relationship with a black man, I'm still like... Gonna root for them. I'm still rooting for them. I'm always gonna root for you. I'm always. And a whole lot more. I just love being black. So join us every other Tuesday for intellectual and funny conversations that will make you embrace your inner Oreo. I'm going to light your shit on fire. That's I'm going to tell your mama. What's up? <laughs> what, 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 what his, Roberta, what yo, son cheated on me. But you know some mama be like, well, that's what men do. So why are you surprised? Exactly. No. Old timey bullshit. Not, I ain't that, having that's it. That's not okay. We also need, you know, we need to, our industry needs to find ways at the companies you know, all of them, all the media companies that are commissioning content, they need to find ways to get diversity in their ranks as well. But this felt like a way that I could help, certainly with female creators, to help their projects get made, which ultimately, you know, is part of the way in which that we broaden the content and tell stories about ourselves, you know, as women. If we are creating the ideas of we're making the shows, we can help there be more nuanced content and more nuanced portrayals of women. Mm-hmm. It, it makes me curious now, and I think it's awesome that you launched this inaugural Propel program uh, for females. What challenges have you faced besides navigating COVID? Because I'm sure a lot of things are more virtual when you're talking to your contestants and every, you know, your, your mentors and everyone else in there, I'm sure that's challenging. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. A good. I think one good thing about this current moment is that it has focused us on doing more virtual connections. Mm-hmm. 
so, you know, where I think oddly before, because the, the, the female creators came from a, across the country, and I'm sure that the design of the program before is that we would have done, you know, some phone conversations and things like that before, and then had some in-person meetings. But I'm finding now in general that there's a lot more video conferencing that's happening, and that's one nice thing. You know, we can do that and creatively share materials and workshop ideas, and that can all happen virtually, which is one good advent of this is that we've learned how to do that. And the other thing I'd say, and and that also, by the way, means that we can do that with people equally from all locations. Like my mentee actually is in Arizona. Oh, nice. And, you know, her mentorship will look the same as somebody who might be from New York, who someone could easily connect with physically, you know? So I think there's kind of the virtual communication can be equally applied and that's Mm -hmm. a nice thing. And the other thing I think is that in the industry in general right now, there's a big focus on development. So that's one thing that you can do and it focuses you to more of like internal place so we can do that now which is in this instance provides us a good time to do that and especially for people that applied to the program you know during this time it gives them some really focused feedback during this time where otherwise they might be you know just kind of digging deep on something without any feedback and direction so hopefully they'll emerge from this period with really focused projects to pitch out just at the time when the world's opening up and they could go into production. So I think the timing for this program for the people who have applied to it is, was good. And they'll definitely have a unique experience in in comparison to the rest of your future finalists and semi-finalists that go through there. Everyone is navigating this whole thing completely differently than we all thought it would it would turn out yeah so yeah oh man besides uh you know appealing and soliciting to diverse contestants or applicants is there any changes that you would implement now that you see how it's you know folding out in front of you for your future program i think besides you know broadening out the set of mentors that's one i do think that i'd love to find a way in the future to even be able to have more finalists be mentored because having looked at the quality of the ideas, I definitely feel like we have it set up now where there's three finalists who are getting mentored. Um, mm-hmm. And then for the semi-finalists, they're all getting free admission to the real screen conference in January. And we're going to create some events and sort of connections with them with some of the mentors and network participants and things like that. But I would love to find a way to broaden out and expand the number of women that could actually be mentored. Cause I think there's real value in that. And I think we had more great applicants than we had mentors. So that is something that I'd love to do for next year is more mentors and more diverse set of mentors, different kinds of experiences, backgrounds, points of view, that kind of thing. All righty. Um, in, in five years, where do you see Propel at? Definitely having, having launched new 
creators and voices and stories that might not otherwise have been told or heard. And to, you know, hopefully encourage through that that some of these women will have been able to maybe set up their own companies in that span and then be able to pay it forward by themselves developing ideas that promote and tell different stories about women or just themselves being women in the industry and supporting other women and sort of diverse and different voices. I mean, I think that I would love and hope to see that some of these women will have expanded, expanded out their prospects, started their own companies. And then I, one of my hopes uh, longer term in general is to raise more money that can go into funding more projects so that we can multiply out our impact in terms of funding and supporting women who particularly have to represent new voices. You know, I think there's a great market for sort of established Mm -hmm. women creators, doc directors, that kind of thing. I think there's less of a market for, there's more of a need to get people who have Mm -hmm. sort of at that mid-level for their ideas to get out there. So one thing I'm contemplating and working on at the moment is how to to raise more funds that can go towards that. Awesome. Awesome. You know, I kind of got on board with this pretty late. So I'm curious uh, by just a time frame, when should people, or excuse me, women... <laughs> Uh, female creators should watch out for the next application for the 2021 program. Yeah. So we, the cycle of the program is that we've launched it. We launched it in January. We get the applications then with the aim that this year, our original plan was to mentor those women and then be able for them to pitch projects by June. But because of COVID, we pushed that deadline off. Mm Mm-hmm. So we'll actually be awarding the winners of this year's program in January. At the same time, we'll be marketing and and promoting the next batch of entries. And that's part of when we can use that to bring in some new mentors and hopefully expand out the numbers of finalists that we can offer. I would definitely pass that on. So I, I will definitely mark it for you guys. So you don't have to worry about being on, on, right. on our end. And we'll keep you we'll keep you in the loop to make sure that you can promote out to all your subscribers and listeners for when we have the next round of of applicants. Awesome. Awesome. You know, and when that when the application opens up. Because I'd love to really this year we got incredibly strong. We had both feature doc ideas, mini series, long running series and specials. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it occurred to me too, that over the time of, as this program grows, that there could be other opportunities for things like podcasts, let's say even. Yeah. Podcasts are awesome. You know, there's other forms of storytelling outside of television mm-hmm. and doc film that we could we could focus on. So, you know, ultimately the goal is about women being in a position to tell their own story and especially leaning into the realness of them and 
authentic portrayals of and nuanced portrayals of women in media is something that is is needed and important. But that can come in so many different forms. So I'd love to see that expanded out too in the future. Well, you're definitely on the right track to do that for sure. I'm curious if you can give our listeners your advice for anyone who wants to make the jump into nonfiction and unscripted work. Yeah, I would say first, you know, watching a lot of it is always a good thing because you know the market. But I also think, you know, one great way for someone who wants to get into this business is to work for a production company or one of the networks that's doing work that you think is entertaining and valuable and important, whatever your whatever resonates with you. So, you know, that's really how I started. I happened to love what Discovery Channel was all about. I actually got to Discovery Channel because I had originally applied for an internship at National Geographic and someone there said, Oh hey, you should also apply to an internship at Discovery. But I applied there because I liked that kind of content. And I always tell people, fine you know, a company, if you're interested in content, that makes something that you like. And a great way to start if you're on the production company side is to work, you know, on a production or work developing ideas, get in on the ground level, work hard. And, you know, the way these companies work on both sides is you sort of move up through the ranks. You know, you do a good job, especially on the freelance side. Like when I worked for Transatlantic Films, in a smaller company, you do a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I loved about working for a production company was, you know, I worked on a production. I also worked developing new ideas. I got to pitch ideas. I got to travel a bit and learn how, and learn how shows were sold and packaged. And I also got to work in the edit. I worked in the field. You kind of get to do a lot because, you know, smaller production companies don't have a ton of overhead. And so everybody has to do a lot of stuff. It's a great way to learn. Got it. Is there any new projects we should keep an eye out for in the future from Every Woman Studios? Well, all of our, all the things we're working on are, have not been announced yet, but I will say we're working on a very exciting feature documentary that I think really can be a story that can change culture. I'll leave it at that. Um, when when it's announced, we'll make sure to let you know. We're working on a bunch of other ideas and things, all that are core to the mission of telling stories by and about women. And part of the fun of that has also been talking to a ton of fabulous women creatives, some of whom come from the doc, feature doc world, mm-hmm. as directors, cinematographers, editors, and Part of what I'm so excited about is just giving this incredible creative community more opportunities to tell their stories, you know, and and having more ownership in the stories that they tell. Oh, man, I'm excited for this stock. Whatever is coming, I'm going to promote. (laughs) It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Well, before we leave it at that, I wish I could tell you, but I can't yet. It's all good. It's all good. I completely understand. Before we wrap up here, I have a segment called Keep It Real, where we give a little bit to the audience and just see how you are. So are you ready? Sure, let's do it. All right. What is your favorite movie right now? Oh, my favorite movie right now. It's interesting because we've been watching a lot of movies just in the last couple of days. I mean, I've watched (laughs) 
some, I revisited some old ones. I'll give you three. Okay. With my family, we watched Selma, amazing movie, amazing cast. Nice. I also watched and loved the Harry Potter series. Oh my gosh, I've been watching that too. Inner Magician. <laughs> and then an old one, but a great one. I watched, because I'm a big fan of the all all of his movies, but the the Young Tannenbaum. Oh, okay. That that's another great one. So those those are three. And then I I would have to add in to another sort of indie film, but I've been thinking about it because it's one with great strong female characters. Is Little Little Miss Sunshine? If you've seen oh, that movie, yes. love that movie. Just watched that again recently with my family. I love the dance scene. That kills me every time. Amazing, amazing, <laughs> and great, great character development in that movie. Oh yeah! So great acting in that movie. What is your favorite TV show right now? Favorite TV show? Well, I've been watching Killing Eve, yeah, which is just an incredible show. That show is off the chain. Addicting, strong female characters, incredibly written, strong female creator. But at the end of the day, just a gripping yarn. But I love that kind of, you know, that's an every woman's story. Mm -hmm. The, yeah, I love it. Got everything for me right now. (laughs) And (laughs) then the last thing is, what is your favorite movie snack that you would eat in the theaters? Oh, my favorite movie snack? Mm -hmm. Oh, good question. If I go to the movies, which we all now sort of feels like a nostalgic thing because we can't go to the movies right now. Right. But I would <laughs> always go for Junior Mint, Ooh, or I would go for a gummy candy. I am a okay. connoisseur of gummy candies. Having lived in the UK, I love wine gums. They're my favorite gummy candy. <laughs> but I... Everyone who knows me well knows that I will have, like, any kind of gummy candy. So I love French, the Eribo, like, the gummy bears, mm-hmm. the gummy fruit, like, any kind of gummy candy. I'm a happy camp. I'll make sure to have some gummy candy when I meet you in person one day, okay? Yeah, sounds perfect. <laughs> True closing fact, but when at Half Yard, early on, we did the show that was about how things are made, and we did it stories about how things were made in America. Oh, yeah. And we did this great story about the company that makes gummy bears. And we were so enthralled by it that we ended up, and they would they would make gummy things that you could order specially designed. So we ended up getting these huge gummy logos of our company and sending them to all our clients. Nice. But they were so, they were so huge that they cost an enormous amount of shipping because they were like, a foot by a foot oh logos, gummy logos. <laughs> and the problem was they were like orange gummy. And of course, nobody wanted to eat them. So they just sat on people's desks. But then as it heated up, some of them, people were sending us all these funny photos of like some had melted and others had like the shapes had slightly changed and other people were taking little chompers out of them. But anyway, oh my that's gosh. my, those are fun facts of when you make TV shows you know, the oddball things that you end up doing, like making your own gummy logos. (laughs) Done it once, won't do it again. (laughs) I could see you like gobbling it up like. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was not particularly tasty. Looked cool, but didn't taste very good. (laughs) 
Well, Abby, I've had a great time. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yes, I really enjoyed it. Look forward to keeping you posted on all the fun stories to come. All right, y'all. I have something to share. The secret is out. She's So Real finally has its own community. Yes, girl. The realest. That's right. (laughs) I'm getting excited just thinking about it. This community is an extension of the podcast and blog. The space is created for talented, badass women in the film and entertainment industry, just like my intro says, in order to support one another. You guys are supposed to share resources and news, network, advocate for more girl power on and off screen. Use this community for inspiration, positivity, expertise, skill development, think pieces, and much more. Ultimately, our mission is to bring your passion to reality with the support of these women. Have fun in there, and don't forget to invite any other ambitious women that you know in the industry. You can find the link in the show notes, and I can't wait to see you in there. As Abby said, the semifinalists were recently picked, so kudos to you guys. A winner will be announced at the Real Screen Summit in New Orleans next January. Fingers crossed, nothing messes with it due to current events, so we're rooting for you guys. If anyone here who is listening is interested in the Propel program for next year, be sure to visit my show notes to check out the website for next year's launch. And be sure to visit the website ongoing as the year goes by. I'm not sure exactly if it's going to be coming within this year or this next year, but stay tuned for sure. All right. All right. As we get into announcements, I would like to give a shout out to the Bitchery of History podcast, which uh, Moi has actually made an appearance there, and that will be coming out soon enough, so I'll let you guys know. But... I want you guys to know that one of my guests, Allison Powell, actually was on that show and she's a co-host. So stay tuned for that. I'll also put that in the show notes as well. So the Bitchery of History podcast. Whoop, whoop. Again, be sure to check out my girl's so-called Oreos podcast. It is dope. Okay, it's dope. <laughs> Link is in the show notes as well for that. After this episode, I think I'm going to watch CS the Dress to squeeze some bridal nostalgia in for myself. So I'll see y'all later. I hope you enjoyed this episode of She's So Real. If you loved it as much as I did, head on over, rate, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every week on Thursday. I would love to hear more from you on topics you want to hear. Head to the show notes and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next. I can't wait to hang out with you all again soon. Remember, keep it real.